What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Hilton sich für Captain Kirk das gab ein großes Feuerwerk. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkebaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. Hi, everybody. Hi, Hi Joe. Joe. I have a question. Do you always you? do. Well, the last time I checked, <laughs> none of us in this room had been to space, but that was a while ago. Yeah, that's true. Has anybody been to space yet? I have not been to space. Jonathan. I, I have also not been to space. But Noel, you... have you been to space? Been what? Space. <laughs> No. No. Right. Noel okay. has also not been to space. What a bummer. I mean, yeah. Jonathan, you even kind of look like the star baby. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, uh,. You know, it. I also uh, built a monolith in my yard. My neighbors are crazy mad because we have a shared com- com- communal space. Mm-hmm. So, are they so crazy mad that they like beat you with giant bones? They they have been. They're they're certainly working up to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've talked about space tourism before because everybody kind of wants to go to space, but there's a problem that it's 
Not so easy to get there. It's not so cheap to get there. Yeah. Right. Well, like, that would be one of the subsets of not so easy. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think if you were to be truly like nail it down to the number of people who have been space tourists, that it's, it's fewer than 10, as I recall, something like seven uh, people. One person has be been more like, like twice. Maybe more like 12. I don't know. Yeah. Depends on who you count. But That's true. M- most of the people who have been to space have been professional astronauts, people mm-hmm. who really know what they're doing. Yeah. But amateurs want to go to space, too. Because it's cool. Yeah, so space tourism is clearly on the way. There's a demand for it. Yep. And so somebody's going to find a way to supply it. But there are still problems because it's going to be really expensive. Yeah. Rocket launches are costly and somewhat dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are we going to have a space elevator soon? We've talked about that. It would be pretty cool, but it's probably, if it will ever exist, it's a long, long way off. Right. There are are fundamental difficulties with that technology. One of the big ones being... physics. Yeah. (laughs) finding, Finding a material that has the tensile strength to be secure as a tether from the Earth to some object in orbit upon which an elevator could climb. It's it's a non-trivial problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's to say the least. So are there any other alternative ways we could think about getting people to have that space tourism experience without depending on these super expensive, dangerous rocket launches or waiting for some kind of crazy technology to emerge? Uh, how about catapults, guys? <laughs> That was the first one that was. I like that Did idea. Did you add that, Joe? Was that no, your note? No, that's all Lauren. Uh, yeah, was it all yeah. you? I think I think there's something to this. Well, someone else wrote it down. I just I just went with it because okay, what's arguably the world's largest trebuchet, which is a replica from old Danish designs, it's housed in Warwick Castle in I, you might have guessed Warwickshire, England. Warwickshire. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, can send stuff flying nearly a thousand feet. That's some three hundred meters. Uh, and it only takes a team like an hour to prepare the equipment for launch. So that's like efficiency right so, there compared uh, to the space program. I guess you guys. just have to stack enough of those, yeah. like, like at, at 300 meter intervals. And then oh, yeah. hold a on. A thousand feet. How close is that to space? Really I guess, far away. <laughs> I guess we'll find out in a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Good uh, question. So I've got some other proposed alternatives to chemical rockets. It's like the Mario Super Jump. All I'm saying. Okay, yeah, okay. go ahead. Yeah, I go mean, ahead. look, I'm not, I'm not against it. In fact, I was just talking. <laughs> To uh, the director of the Georgia Renaissance Festival about the fact that there needs to be a catapult ride, although clearly <laughs> one of the important questions you would ask the person before they are aimed at the net is, hey, have you had anything to eat today? Because that's <laughs> that's going to affect our calculations. Um, but no, I, I wanted to talk about some of the actual alternative proposals for chemical rockets, because as we have pointed out, they are expensive and dangerous, potentially. So we have to look and see if there's something else that we could use for getting stuff from Earth into space. And there have been a lot of hypothetical proposals. Well, the proposals are real, but it's all hi- based on <laughs> hypothesis. Yes. They're, they're essentially in Good the same level of reality as the space <laughs> elevator. Okay. I'm a little loopy. Um, but no, the, these include the cable space accelerator, which imagine this. You've got a ramp. It doesn't have to be a ramp, but I've, the most common version I've seen is a ramp. And you have a series of drive motors in that ramp. And the drive motors can attach to a cable and pull the cable up the ramp. And after the cable passes the drive motor, it essentially gets a handoff to the next drive motor. Okay. Uh-huh. Each drive motor in that series is moving at a faster uh, RPM. So it's pulling the cable 
faster each time. The other end of the cable is attached to a vehicle, preferably a winged one. <laughs> and then when the winged one gets to the end of the ramp, by that point, it's moving at a hypersonic speed and can direct itself more in a more vertical orientation and thus escape the bonds of Earth um, without having to use chemical rockets for the initial launch. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, so sort of the same way that uh, some um, aircraft use a traditional launch pattern to get them to like normal 40,000 feet cruising altitude and then uh, uh, will use a secondary booster to uh, go super fast. Or even a, a military jet on a um, on like an uh, aircraft carrier mm -hmm. where they can have, oh, it's, it's essentially a catapult system to accelerate them at, at really high speed so they can take off in a shortened runway. Yeah, Same yeah. sort of thing, but, you know, kind of ramped up a notch. <laughs> so then you have uh, also an idea called a circle launcher and space keeper, which, honestly, I have That's a lot of... That's just from a video game. It's, what it's are you actually, talking it's about? It's actually from... There is a proposal, and you can... There, there's a... Google Books has a, a PDF of the entire thing, and it's incredibly long. And the physics got so complicated that I stopped reading. So I know that it's it's got a cable that when it spins, it creates a circle. And then uh, there's a, a launch tube thing in the center of this circle. And then stuff gets launched through centrifugal force. That does not sound like it would be ideal for, you know, human occupants. Maybe cargo, but I can't imagine going on... like. Have you guys ever been to one of those uh, amusement parks like Six Flags that has something like the wheelie? It spins uh, horizontally and then the arm comes up so that you're spinning upside down vertically. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine using that to get into space. I, I can't think... imagine using that on the ground. So <laughs> that, uh... Yeah, I, I rode but one sure. of those. I rode one of those two times in a row once. And that oh. was probably one of my greatest failures as, as a human being <laughs> was to making that decision because uh -huh. it ruined the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, then there are also proposed magnetic lift systems, but a lot of them would require incredible engineering, like digging 40 kilometers down into the ground to create enough uh, like runway counter, uh -huh. yeah, for the magnetic thrust you would need to get up into space, which already non-trivial problem. <laughs> yeah. So as you've pointed out, Basically, all of these are about on the same level as the space elevator. Yeah, yeah. they're really like, nifty they're ideas. Th things that may one day work if we have some technological breakthroughs, but they're and they may even one day be practical. Like even if they work, doesn't necessarily mean it's practical, right? It may right. end up being where sure it works, but the amount of uh, money and energy or anything else that we pour into it dwarfs whatever a rocket launch would be. Thus negating the effectiveness of that technique. Well, I've got another proposal. Uh, okay. Propose away. I want to get a little more Wizard of Oz. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't think that we're paying enough due to technology that was dreamed about in uh, the late 1800s. Wait, I got it. I got it. You're going to say flying monkeys. No. Uh, I'm I would say... go to space on a flying monkey today. <laughs> no, how about balloons? You're floating up into space in a balloon going, I can't stop it. I don't know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh... So that's an interesting an interesting idea. And the reason why we're we're even mentioning this and we'll go into more detail as the episode goes on is because there are a couple of uh, different companies that have been looking into using balloons as a means of taking people up to high altitudes in what they're calling space tourism. So how realistic is that? How high can balloons go? Can they get us to space? 
Well, the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale, which oversees aeronautic records, defines space as beginning at 100 kilometers above sea level, which is a little more than 62 miles. Hmm. All right. That's where space begins, according to that organization. The U.S. Air Force defines it differently, saying that it's 50 miles above sea level, which is a little more than 80 kilometers. So there's a 20 kilometer difference there, which actually, interestingly enough, has caused some problems because there were some some uh, uh, early test pilots who flew above the 50 mile mark or the 80 kilometer mark, but below the 100 kilometer mark. So did they earn their astronaut wings or not? And that was actually a big problem for a long time. Uh, Eventually, the government said, give them the astronaut wings. At any rate, it would have been funny if they just denied their achievement. (laughs) Right, right. Yes, you went not good enough. You went incredibly high. Try again later. But not high enough. So why... 100 kilometers. Well, it's called the Kaman line. And at that height, the air is so thin that it does not create sufficient lift for an aerodynamical vehicle to maintain flight. Right. So you couldn't take an airplane with wings up there. Exactly. It would it would not have any lift. It would start to fall until it reached a denser atmosphere. Hmm. So in atmospheric terms, this puts the beginning of space at Earth's thermosphere. The you know you know your levels of the atmosphere right the thermosphere is uh, pretty far out there that starts at around eighty five kilometers above sea level and ends around the five hundred to one thousand kilometer range which I know that sounds like it's a huge range it's five hundred kilometers how could it be like so nebulous well it it, re- it largely depends upon external factors like solar activity uh, now the level above the thermosphere is the exosphere which is an area that has molecules that are gravitationally bound to the Earth but they are so far apart from one another that they don't act like a gas. They're hmm. all individual particles, essentially. So very, very thin layer here. Uh, below the thermosphere is the mesosphere, which is between 50 and 80 kilometers. And then below that is the stratosphere, which is between 10 and 50 kilometers. And then below that is the troposphere, which is the lowest level. That's where weather occurs. Right. So those are your basic levels. And when you look at those levels, you might ask, well, where... Where do the balloons go? Like, how high can the balloons go in that that scale? I'm guessing they can't get you all the way out to the exosphere. You would guess correctly. <laughs> because balloons, by their nature, are based on the equilibrium between the the density of the gas inside the balloon versus what's outside. Yeah, right. It floats up because it is less dense than the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you also have uh, other other factors as well that we'll talk about, like air pressure, which becomes really important mm-hmm. later on. And the weight of the material that the balloon is made of. Also yeah. very important, yeah. Uh, and Those so, gold balloons just don't go very high. <laughs> no, but you know what? Adam and Jamie on Mythbusters had a lead balloon, and they made it float. Aw. They, you know, well, they, they can do anything. Did they explode super, it afterwards? Yeah, I don't think they did. <laughs> no, they shot it with a 50 cal. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, also fair. Uh, so in October 2014, Alan Eustace, uh, a, a Google executive, ascended to an altitude of about 41 kilometers, which is about 25.5 miles before detaching from his balloon. Now, that balloon was created by a company, right? Uh, yeah, called Paragon Stratex. <laughs> and You uh, have to make a fist when you say that name. Yeah, it's important. Which Lauren did both yeah. times. You know, even when she was explaining that you have to do that, she did it again. Just Need muscle sure. mass? Bulk up with Stratex. <laughs> Paragon Stratex. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he 
his was interesting. Like his his approach was interesting. You know, Felix Baumgartner also had gone very high up. This was this was breaking Baumgartner's unofficial record. Uh, Baumgartner's record has not yet been officially recognized by that international organization I mentioned earlier. But Baumgartner went up in a capsule, right? And then he had a, a special suit, but he was inside a capsule for most of his ascent. Well, for his entire ascent, and then got out and jumped out for his de- descent. You mean he was in a capsule lifted by balloon? Yeah. 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 Whereas uh, uh, Alan here was wearing a special suit and that was kind of what was connected to the balloon. It was kind of neat as opposed to being, you know, inside a a bigger thing. His suit was the thing, which is kind of crazy. That's either scarier or less scary. And I'm not actually sure which. (laughs) And and of course, Baumgartner's was very much publicized. It was televised. Mm -hmm. It was it was amazing. If you watched it, you know what I'm talking about. The moment when he stepped out on the ledge before jumping out was, even for me, sitting comfortably at home, terrifying. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was white-knuckled. Right. Whereas our our, our friend from Google uh, did the jump and then talked about it. <laughs> Apparently, just he just wanted to do it. Um, so uh, the suit he wore... The, that Eustace wore was uh, designed specifically so that he could uh, explore the stratosphere. So, uh, you know, having the, the life support systems that would keep him safe at that altitude. Uh, his parachute deployed at about 18,000 feet, which is about 5.5 kilometers, and he landed safely. Uh, <clears throat> so even uh, Baumgartner's, whose who's, uh, ascent, by the way, went up to 39 kilometers or about 24 miles, uh, you know, both of these numbers, both of these these ascents, incredible achievements, phenomenal, oh, yeah. record-breaking achievements. Yeah, way higher than I've gone. Yeah, <laughs> I've <laughs> never gone that high either. Uh, but if you've been paying attention when I mentioned the earlier different levels of the atmosphere, you'll realize these elevations are not anywhere close to space. They're well inside the stratosphere. Yeah, not quite halfway. Yeah, well below that 100 kilometers. Kilometers, And as you say, less than halfway to that. So they are nowhere close to space, although uh, we often talk about them being taken to the beginning of space. What about weather balloons? How high do they go? Well, uh, it depends upon the construction of the balloon itself. But uh, generally speaking, they reach around the same region that Baumgartner and Eustace went to, the stratosphere. So the average heights range from 60,000 feet to 105,000 feet or uh, 18 to 32 kilometers. So they normally actually reach elevations below the ones that Baumgartner and Eustace went to, Uh, Hmm. though you can get them higher than that. Uh, What about those balloons that you can, those little kits that you can buy to tie a camera to and and send your camera into space? Essentially, we're talking about the same height as the weather balloons. Maybe sometimes lower, because generally speaking, you're probably not getting the super thin material balloons, because you have to be incredibly careful with that stuff. I mean, it's incredibly delicate, but the reason why they make it so thin and light is to is to maximize the payload that the balloon can carry. Mm-hmm. So decrease the amount of weight of the balloon itself so it can carry more of a payload. Um, those camera ones probably are not made the same at the same level as the weather balloons. Uh, I'm sure you still have to be very careful with them, but it probably doesn't get quite to that altitude. Uh, the highest elevation reached by any balloon, according to what I could find, was 53 kilometers, which is nearly 33 miles, which means that balloon actually reached the mesosphere. So it went huh. above the stratosphere, above that halfway mark to space, but still 
well below space itself. And this balloon was released in 2002 in Japan. It was unmanned, obviously, and was made of material that was about one-sixth as thick as your average plastic grocery bag. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. If you ever watch the the preparations that uh, Baumgartner had to go through before, and Baumgartner's team really had to go mm -hmm. through before the ascent, and you see them slowly laying out the balloon, they are all being incredibly careful because this stuff looks like it's like plastic wrap thin. I mean, it's incredibly thin. Uh, so one of the reasons they don't go any higher than that, uh, apart from the density issue that Joe brought up, is the air pressure issue. Uh, the balloons expand as they go up. There's less and less air pressure and there's more temp there's higher temperatures at higher elevations. We'll talk more about that in a second, too. Mm -hmm. And the combination of those means the balloon gets bigger and bigger. So the uh, balloon might be a fairly impressive size at ground level. And then once it gets to the altitude you are planning on it getting to, it's going to be significantly larger. It's going to have expanded quite a bit. Probably just about at capacity. Yeah. Beyond that, you have reached the tensile strength, the elasticity of the material, and balloons go pop. I wonder if that's what happens to the balloons that are released at the county fair and just float up and disappear. How high do those balloons go? I guess it all depends on the size of the balloon, the, the how heavy amount they are, helium, the amount of helium. Uh, yeah, because if there in. if there's any kind of leakage, it's gonna start to it's gonna start to descend earlier. Um, a lot of them uh, do, I imagine, get to an altitude where they just can't, you know, they can't sustain themselves anymore, and they pop and then they fall. I totally want to do a brain stuff episode about this, by the way. It would okay. be pretty cool. All right. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Okay. Assuming that everyone oh. on YouTube has not already done that. Yeah. But yeah, you you know, I think I think that'll be a great episode because again, it, it explains something that a lot of us don't think about, about what happens to the balloons, you know, the ones that aren't tethered, what happens to them when they continuously go up? And there if there's no venting mechanism, what happens? Yeah. And so it'd be a great way of explaining that. They go to balloon heaven. But at any rate... <laughs> <clears throat> well, hold on a second. Why yeah. did we start talking about this in the first place? It was because we were investigating the idea of a company using balloons for space tourism. Right. Could someone do something that audacious? Uh, someone is. Well, someone's planning on doing <laughs> yeah. it, at the very least. Uh, it hasn't happened quite yet, but there's this company called Worldview mm. that has has a plot. <laughs> A terrific balloon plot. Um, so, so Worldview purchased Paragon Stratex's <laughs> balloon technology back in 2014. Uh -huh. Um, and their, their long-term plan here is to start conducting tourism flights via balloon. Um, uh, passengers would enter a flight capsule attached to a, say, football stadium-sized balloon. That's a significant balloon. Um, after about an hour and a half of ascent, they'd take a, a two-hour tour of near space and uh, then glide down, um, for, first using the balloon and then with a parafoil's help. A parafoil being the same kind of stuff that uh, that, that Felix and... Um, Eustace. Eustace. Yeah. Both Baumgartner. I'm not on a name, first name basis <laughs> with Baumgartner. Um, 
uh, yeah, yeah, parafoil to kind of glide back down, parachute down to Earth. Um, they're marketing it as an alternative to a few things, to uh, to reduced gravity aircraft flights, which are shorter and probably more stressful. That's what we colloquially call the vomit comet. Um, and and these days, it looks like they're running pretty cheap, like like five to ten grand, something like that. Really? Yeah, yeah. I can't. The last time I heard, these were still being proposed as many tens of thousands of dollars at no, least. No, I, I had seen. A couple of years ago, I'd seen it as low as twenty, which it's a, it makes sense to me that the price would continually come down as uh, as businesses could actually make a business of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting little tidbit: our our head of creative here at How Stuff Works, Jason Hoke, has been on the Vomit Comet. Yes. Meanwhile, I'm like, I wrote the article on that, and I didn't get to go. <laughs> 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 uh, but but yeah, so so there's there's those things, and then there's the actual go to space for a couple days at least space tour tourism kind of things, um, which run you know somewhere between two hundred and fifty thousand and twenty million bucks, and and require pretty extensive training. Yeah, and I don't know that there's anywhere currently that's even allowing this to happen. I know the Russian yeah. space program used to, and that's mm-hmm. where the 20 million was going to. Like people would pay 20 million bucks to get a, a hitch a ride on the Soyuz right, and, right. and go up to the ISS. But I don't know that they're still doing that. So, uh, And I, I know that, you know, like like Virgin is planning on it. And yep. The ticket price that they're currently advertising is that 250,000 kind of mark. Um, so uh, it potentially exists. Um but uh, Worldview is allowing reservations for this balloon flight at about $75,000 right now. So <laughs> pretty steep. Still pretty expensive. Not inexpensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but cheaper than spending a week in space. Uh, okay. And if you are curious about how exactly this is working, it goes something like this. Uh, the, the giant balloon is made of polyethylene that's filled with helium. And helium, as you may or may not know, is a totes light element, like number two lightest element ever. Well, why don't they just use the number one lightest element ever? <laughs> because that explodes. Because yeah. yeah, <laughs> it burns with explosive force. <laughs> um, but at any rate, it is lighter than our, our mix of air at sea level pressure, certainly. Yep. Um, and so if you put a bit of helium into an airtight, lightweight Balloon material, that balloon, will float. Mm-hmm. You have probably seen this in action. I'm assuming if you're listening to a podcast, you've also seen a balloon. You're right. You've, yeah? you've probably been to at least one <laughs> child's birthday party or, you know, any kind of amusement park, something where there have been helium balloons present. To Fingers cut crossed. costs, my birthday parties had air-filled balloons. Oh. <laughs> That sounds like that episode of The Office. I'm just kidding. We didn't have balloons at all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh. all right. We just went to a sad place. I'm going to keep talking about helium. All right, let's do that. Um, so, so if if you let if you let this heli if you let this balloon with a little bit of helium in it continue going up, the helium will expand due to um a the outside pressure decreasing Mm -hmm. and b the outside temperature increasing which sounds crazy right because we all know like if you're climbing a mountain you go up those elevations temperature gets colder and colder until there's just snow everywhere yes accurate but that is in the lowest layer the troposphere close to the earth um 
the temperature does not always decrease as you ascend due to uh, variables like radiation exposure and chemical stuff happening, like like the ozone form formation. Mm. Um, it will get hotter the further you go up in both the stratosphere and the thermosphere. Huh. Crazy party times. Interesting. Um, so, uh, so Worldview's balloon is designed to be fully inflated by this expanding helium when it reaches its target height. Again, efficiency. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Um, to start descending, the, the craft will start venting some of that helium until it reaches a good paragliding height. Then detach the balloon, let it fly free, join its balloon brethren or, you know, float back to the ground where they carefully collect it again. Um, and then, you know, you, you glide down on the paraglide as much as 300 miles away from where you started, because uh, depending on how fast the winds are going that day. Well, how do you get back to your car? Private plane. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. They thought of that. <clears throat> I they're, guess they're, I... they're not like, well, see you later. <laughs> oh, that's where that 75,000 is going. I was about to say, <laughs> there's, there's a good chunk of that 75,000 to, to, for the valet service. <laughs> so the thing about this is that sounds like that could be really cool because you would be going up high enough in this capsule to see some of the curvature of the Earth. Oh, yeah. To be higher than people are normally traveling, sure. even in airplanes yeah, could, and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Probably see the stars really clearly. It's probably real pretty. But that's not exactly space. Oh, it's not space. Yeah. Uh, so the the cruise altitude is just a smidge over 100,000 feet, which is about 30 kilometers or 19 miles. Um, that whole feet altitude thing still drives me nuts. I never understand why anyone says I'm like, I'm like, what what does 100,000 feet even mean? Yeah. <laughs> that may. OK, anyway, anything um, anything above 16 feet. And I start having problems. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh Right. So so, you know, like we said, the the literal edge of space is like 100 kilometers or 62 miles or 327,000 feet, if you want to be pedantic about it. Gotcha. Um, And so, yes, 100,000 feet is not anywhere near the edge of space. So another question. Okay. Do you feel the reduced gravity that we get to experience in the ISS or something? Not not at all. No. Uh, But there is a bar on board, so you can feel a little bit floaty. (laughs) Right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Different different hey. approach, but yeah. hey, you know that we're we're pragmatist. <laughs> pragmatist? I know I screwed it up as I was saying it. I'm like Jonathan, seriously. Well, that's staying in. It sure it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to cut it. Well, then it's suburban. <laughs> that's going back to an old tech stuff flub I made years ago. I'm sure the tech stuff fans out there are appreciating, appreciating the callback. Oh yeah, we, we have not been uh, drinking in the office today, folks. We, yeah, I promise, we're not feeling floaty here. at all. We're just punchy. Well, yeah. anyway, taking balloons to space. Yes. Okay, so you can't <clears throat> do it. Really. No, no, the balloon would burst before you would get up that high. Is there any way we can use balloons? In the exploration of space. Well, I've seen proposals for this, and I've seen some mentions of actual testing, but I haven't seen enough to really give any indication that it's a viable alternative. But I have seen uh, some suggestions that we use balloons in order to lift a rocket up to a significant altitude before igniting the rocket, thus shortening its its journey to escape Earth's gravity, and you would therefore reduce the amount of fuel you would need, and that would mean that the cost would go, be lower, yeah. right? A mm-hmm. couple of major problems with this, though. <laughs> um, and uh, by the way, these are <laughs> these are called raccoons. Balloon-launched rockets. Yeah, raccoons. 
I have no idea if that's actually a real term or if someone out there on the internet is pulling my leg, by the way. And if you are pulling my leg, <laughs> good on you. Yeah. yeah. So at any rate... Um, I accept this reality. Makes yeah. me think of that song, Racky Raccoon. <laughs> yes, I remember that one too, by the Beatles. So uh, there's also this proposal that I had seen uh, a science writer and science fiction writer had had proposed it years ago about it was kind of a vision of the future, not so much a proposal, just one of those things where, you know, you project out. Uh, I think this was for 2081 and the writer had described a floating platform held aloft by balloons upon which you could do things like rocket launches. So this platform would float in the stratosphere and that would mean that you would actually have a, a floating launch pad. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, so you have like a plane up to the launch and then a. Yeah. Or yeah, you would you would have to, I guess, use cargo. Like, you couldn't get a plane that high, I guess. Maybe you could. But I don't know how you would get it unless you were to have the launch pad on the ground first, assemble everything on the launch pad, then use balloons to lift it to the right altitude and then launch. Because I don't know how you would get the rocket there otherwise. I I'm worried about lighting large amounts of rocket fuel around combustible gases. Well, and that would depend upon whether you were using hydrogen or helium. Uh, okay, right? okay. I guess I guess helium is pretty inert. That's, yeah, but but if chilling, you were using but... a lot of the the descriptions I've said suggested using hydrogen because hydrogen has better lift. Sure. Yeah. But like you point out, that's a real hazard because it is also flammable. So maybe you would incorporate that into the design where upon launch, the balloon essentially self-destructs and then the rocket just goes on past it. But there are other problems that balloons have. For one, they have limited payload capacity. They cannot carry an unlimited amount of stuff. And, you know, obviously the heavier the the uh, object, the more gas you're going to need. The bigger the balloon you need. The bigger the balloon you need. And that then you start to factor in the weight of the balloon itself. These are issues that you have with rockets too, right? Oh, sure. The bigger the rocket you need, the more fuel you need. And the more fuel you have, the more fuel you need, need. to lift the fuel. Yeah. And you know, it becomes one of those things where very smart people can work out the math and I just am sitting there scratching my head. At any rate... Um, I was looking at NASA's uh, Columbia Scientific Balloon Facility website, which has a chart that plots altitudes and suspended weight limits on their various balloons that they have. The heaviest payload that they list is 8,000 pounds for a balloon with 34.43 million cubic feet of volume at about 118,000 feet, which is about 36 kilometers. Uh, that's the heaviest. 8,000 pounds for a rocket is nothing. Oh, yeah. Right? That's that's incredibly tiny. Um so, and there are other issues too, right? Helium is expensive. So if you are using helium to lift the rocket up, it is possible that you are counteracting at least some of the savings you would have from the solid fuel or chemical fuel you'd be using for that rocket. Uh, sure. Also, helium is kind of a precious resource. We don't have an unlimited amount of it, right. and it's really scientifically useful in lots right. of experience. Yeah, I have a feeling... Exper- experiments, experiences. That Boy, too. we're... We're batting a thousand. We're saying so many words, so you many guys. Words. So um, many words. So many words. Basically, what I'm saying is that I'm judging you every time you buy your kids helium balloons. Well, and also, I mean, just imagine all the people, say, at the Large Hadron Collider watching one of these worldview balloons go up in the air and thinking, how many rotations would that have helped <laughs> us do? <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's one of those questions you ask. Well, where's the you know should Priority, we should yeah. we should we end up rationing helium for specific uses? Uh, yeah, and there's another issue too. One that I think is 
probably the biggest one in my mind. Let's say that you solve these problems, that you're using hydrogen because it's relatively easy to manufacture. You figured out a way to to avoid the problems with the fact that hydrogen is combustible. You um, you don't have to worry about, the, you know, you've got a rocket that's the appropriate size. You're getting to the height that you want. All that stuff is cool. You still can't really control where the balloon is going to be necessarily unless you've got a crazy tether on it. It's going to be going in different directions, which means that that's going to affect the rocket trajectory. And I don't know if you've heard the term rocket science, but it suggests a certain level of precision. And if you can't tell where the the launch pad is going to be pointed at any given moment, precision is difficult, if not impossible, to achieve. And so... While I wouldn't say that it's impossible we'll ever see balloons being used in in some form of launch system, I think there's probably going to be other ways to use balloons in in uh, the space industry, like this near space tourism type stuff, uh, and less in direct launches. Um, although, who knows, maybe some engineer will come along and solve all the, the problems I've mentioned, and I, I will eat my words. Mm. So I have a question. Yeah. Okay. For you guys. Yeah. Would you rather do one of the suborbital space flights like we were hearing, you know, Virgin Galactic mm. offering and and uh, that kind of thing, this other idea, or would you rather go up in one of these balloon carried capsules? It's a good question. You get to spend longer up there obviously in the capsule, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the suborbital space flight will take you higher, right? Yeah, I mean, ultimately for me, <clears throat> I think, I think the, the level of, uh, interest I have would be vomit comet first, just so I could experience what microgravity feels like. Mm -hmm. Uh, then it would be the balloons because I would, I think that being able to see from that altitude and get that kind of, Approximation. I mean, I know it's nowhere close to what the astronauts experienced when they were far enough from the Earth where they could see the entire planet. Uh, but just that that kind of sense of awe of being able to see so much of the Earth down below me, that would probably be uh, really impactful to me. And then third would be kind of the Virgin Galactic approach. But if you ask me the same question tomorrow, my order might be totally different. <laughs> I, uh... I think I, I think I would go for the balloons first, actually, because it just seems like such a less stressful experience. I'm just picturing myself having a really hard time enjoying the 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 glee of weightlessness because I'm like, oh, we're really high. Oh, we're really <laughs> high. Oh, we're going so fast. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, I don't like this. Yeah. Like that. That's what I imagine myself doing the whole time. Are, so. you, are you not a fan of air travel to begin with? Uh, I'm OK with it. Uh, the more that I learn about the physics behind it, the more nervous it makes me. I'm like, that doesn't sound <laughs> right at all. How is this even a thing? That mm, um, I think we're just playing a trick on physics. <laughs> and once it finds out, it's going to be mad. It's going to be like in the Roadrunner cartoons when Wiley e. Coyote right. finally looks, looks down, down and he yeah. can fall. Do you have just enough time to pull out the sign that says yipe and then... You plummet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but no, no. I mean, I mean, all of it. I mean, obviously, if I had the opportunity to do any of those three, if someone like tomorrow was like, hey, you get your choice, uh, I'd be like, all of them. Yay. Yeah. But uh, What about you, Joe? I don't know. I honestly don't know. You ask a question of us and you don't have an answer for yourself. <laughs> I guess I would today. I'd probably actually go for the balloon. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
because while I guess you can say you've been higher in the suborbital spaceflight, sure. the balloon, you'd have more time to enjoy it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also like the idea that you are uh, able to enjoy a cocktail or two and right. just kind of take it all in. I also love the idea. so metropolitan. I love the idea of hacking the, the uh, PA system so it just plays my beautiful balloon on a loop <laughs> for the entire time you're up there. Can you imagine the upcharges on those cocktails? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, at any rate, uh, you know, it's an interesting an interesting take on space tourism. And certainly until we solve these problems of uh, making uh, making getting to space less expensive and, and more reliable and less dangerous, then creative solutions like these are going to have to fill in for those of us who really want to get as close to that experience as possible unless, you know, we just settle for like a simulation or we dedicate our lives to training and becoming an astronaut, which if you're doing that, that's awesome. I, I you know, I, I'm, I've gone too far. I'm beyond that, that range now. I, there's no amount of training that would ever get me ready to go into space Aww. like that. Don't, well, not with that attitude, Jonathan. <laughs> well, I'm still waiting for Mars One to call me back. So, you know, I, I wanted to get on that alternate list. Um, if, if we re- work out reverse aging, then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. That would be great. Yeah. Because um, then I would I'd totally get on board. Uh, yeah. This has been really kind of an interesting thing to look at. And this was all kind of brought to our attention because we saw a little news item about the proposed plan of uh, using balloons to take people on kind of a space tourism approach. And we thought, well, let's look into that more. If you guys have suggestions for future topics, maybe there's something that you've always wanted to know. How is that going to work in the future? Or maybe you just, you know, there's a there's a science fiction film uh, that depicts the future in a particular way, and you want to know what we think. Does, does, does our vision of the future stack up against that one? Any question like that, feel free to ask. We love getting messages from you guys. We have lots of more listener mail episodes in the works uh, for the near future, so keep an ear out for that. And uh, remember, you can get in touch with us with the email address fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook. Twitter or Google Plus. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are FW Thinking. Just search FW Thinking in Facebook. We'll pop right up, leave us a message, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. 
plus at these prices? You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.